continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, we have just finished up the Sermon on the Mount, and we are picking up in Luke chapter 7, reading from verse 1. Luke chapter 7, reading from verse 1. Remember, Luke is the one who said that he's following in chronological order, so we're taking his chronology, and then we'll look into the other Gospels as as, uh, we complement the things that, that, that Luke has recorded. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and to save the life of his slave. And when he came to Jesus... And when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant, grant this to him, for he loves our nation. And it was he who built us our synagogue. Now when Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to the another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and he turned and he said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And so this passage actually is is also recorded in the Gospel according to to Matthew, in Matthew chapter 8, both of them following directly from the Sermon on the Mount. And and, uh, in the Matthew 8 portion, it says that the centurion came imploring Jesus to come and heal his slave. And here in this, it says that the centurion sent elders, Jewish elders, to implore Jesus to come and heal his slave. And... And so, but it's the same passage because in that day, as well as in this day, when you send an emissary, emissary, you have, have essentially gone yourself. So, let's put it this way. If, if President Obama were to ask someone on his staff to contact me and invite me to visit him at the White House. So, say, say the, the, his office secretary calls me and invites me to the White House. I wouldn't say Obama's, President Obama's secretary has invited me to the White House. I would say President Obama invited me to the White House. And you would understand that he may not have been the one to have placed the call, but it's very much in, in keeping with what happened, that he has invited me to the White House, even though the invitation came via his secretary. And if I were to say, well, and I turned him down, well... Maybe I never really got to speak with him. No, I just told the secretary, I'm not interested. Right? And so I I could well say, I turned him down, even though I went through her. And so the two passages are actually the same. It's just that Luke is expanding a little bit more and saying that really he sent these Jewish elders. So it says that he went back up to Capernaum in 7.1, And remember, Capernaum becomes his his home base for this time period. That's in the Galilee. That's not too far from from the Sea of Galilee, uh, from the Sea of Knesseret. 
And the centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to to die. Now, slaves in those days were expendable. But this centurion, it shows you something of his character, that he loved his slave so much. So immediately we see something of this centurion's character. A centurion was was, uh, uh, like a lieutenant. A centurion or a captain. He had a hundred men under his command. So a centurion had a hundred men under his command. He was part of this, this, this group of Romans who was the, the, uh, the state that occupied that country, that was controlling that country, although the Jews had certain freedom to worship and certain freedom to govern within themselves. Still, they were, they were the overlords there. And they weren't particularly kind to the Jews, as most dominating countries are not generally particularly kind to the, to the locals. But he was kind to his own slaves, so much so that he wanted his slave healed. And it says his slave was about to die. So his slave was on his deathbed. So it's not like he had a little cold or a runny nose. His slave was about to die on his deathbed. Verse 3, when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and to save the life of this slave. So he makes this request of the Jewish elders. And so why would the Jewish elders care to bring this message? The Jewish elders didn't particularly, in many cases, care for Jesus, nor did they particularly care for the Romans. But in this case, this Roman was different. It says in verse 4, And when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now, this tells us why they liked this guy so much. They're saying, look, he's worthy. He's not like the rest of these Romans. He loves the nation of Israel, and he has, from his own pocket, underwritten the building of our synagogue. You know, this is really quite profound. This Roman was not a Jew but he so respected and loved, it says he loved the Jewish nation, not just respected it, but he loved the Jewish nation, and he even built us our synagogue. Now, there are things that happen in synagogues. So in synagogues, you could well say that synagogues may, in their teachings, say negative things about the Roman Empire, just like you will hear things in churches, negative things about certain things, and, and, and very often the Jews are more vocal about the way they feel about things than, than, than politically correct uh, Protestant Christians in the United States. So you could say that, why would he underwrite the building of a synagogue if, you know, they weren't always complimentary to the Roman government? Because that was not his concern. His concern was he wanted to bless these people. If you're worried about every little thing that may ever happen with your offering. Well, you can stop worrying because it's not up to you to worry about every little thing. If the spirit of the thing is, is what you want, yes, some of it is going to be abused. So say you send your child to, to school. You're paying for that school out of your taxes. Now, not everything in that school you might particularly care for. it, But say it's a donation, something you don't have to give. Say it's a donation to a church. Does that mean you have to agree with absolutely everything that goes on in that church? That will never happen. As Shireen tells me, when I don't agree with something in the church, she says, why don't you go out and start your own church? And then it'll be perfect. 
So, not everything is always agreeable to you. But if the spirit of, of the thing is agreeable, then it's, it, it's uh, you, you know, he, he went ahead and he did this. But what you see here is the blessing that has been promised. The blessing to Abraham. If you look in, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, so all the way back in the first book, there was a promise made to Abraham. He was called Abram at that time. Later on, his name was called Abraham. But Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So you see that this proclamation that God gives is not just for Abram as the individual. He says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There is a blessing that is going to extend from your offspring to all the families of the earth. In that context of this global blessing throughout his family, he says, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. This is what he says. And we see that promise working throughout the scriptures that everyone who loved the Jewish nation was blessed. And everyone who cursed the Jewish nation was cursed. And what I tell people is, if you have something that you don't particularly care about the Jews, just keep that to yourself. Don't let it come out as a curse. They don't do everything right. But just keep it to yourself. But if you bless, the, if you bless them, you will be blessed. Now what's happened is, some Christians will say, that has now been transferred to the church. It's no longer upon the Jews. That seems not to be the case throughout even modern history. That seems not to be the case. And generally what you will find is people who claim that, that that is for the church and not so much for the Jewish nation anymore, but for the church. Generally the people who say that don't care at all about Israel. You bless the Jewish nation. You bless the Jews and you will be blessed. He blessed the Jews and he was blessed. You see this pattern working in the New Testament again and again. And we'll pick this up again in just a moment. But here's, they, the Jewish elders say, this man is worthy for you to do this for him. Verse 6, now Jesus started on his way. So look at that. Immediately Jesus starts going to his house. Now Jesus did bless Gentiles. Many, many Gentiles were healed through Jesus' ministry. Jesus goes into Gentile areas, as we'll see. But to be so ready to bless a Gentile, was a, to bless anyone, was amazing. That immediately go, but particularly a Gentile. And he goes because here is the practical outworking of Genesis 12.3. He hears that the man is a blessing to the Jewish nation. He says, I'm on my way. A man that I am going to fulfill what my father promised to Abram. Those who bless you, I will bless. Jesus said, I'm on my way. Let's go. He started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. So remember what the, the Jewish elders said in verse 4? He is worthy for you to grant him this. And this man says twice of himself, I'm not, in verse 6, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. 
I don't even consider myself worthy to come to you. This man's view of himself was a very good personal view. I'm not even worthy to have you in my home. I'm not worthy to even approach you. Their view of him is he was quite worthy. The view of himself was a very right view. He says, I'm not even worthy. When we realize what we have in Christ, the ability to approach His throne, as Paul says, we can come into His throne room boldly. That worthiness that we have is nothing, nothing within ourselves. It is only what has been granted to us because of the blood, because of the blood of Jesus. We can enter His throne room, the Scriptures say. There is no worthiness in ourselves. This man had a very right view of himself. And so he sends his friends, he says, I'm not even worthy to have you come here. He said, but then he said in verse 7, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Look what great faith. I don't even need you to have to even come into my house. Just say the word and it's done. You know, sometimes I'll pray for my son and he says, this is not good enough. I want you to really pray. really." And as if this simple prayer doesn't count. You know, I have to you know, really get worked up and everything for it to really mean something for him. This man believed the simple word of Jesus at a distance could take care of it. Look at the depth of this man's faith. And then here's the rationale of the man. In verse 8, For I say, for I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, He marveled at him. And he turned and he said to the crowd that was following, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. So this man's rationale was, look, I understand authority. I'm a man under authority myself. He says, I am also a man placed under authority. I'm a centurion. I'm not Caesar. I'm under authority. But he says, I have men under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. To this one, come, and he comes. I say say to my slave, do this, and he does it. And Jesus marvels. You never, never see this again in the Bible where Jesus is impressed by human beings. To this extent. What impresses Jesus? Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he turned to the crowd who was following him and he said, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Now, why would you think there should be greater faith in Israel than among the Gentiles? Because the Israel had been given the scriptures, had the prophets coming to them, had all this explained to them. Like Paul said, it is a great advantage that Israel has had. They have had all this teaching, all the prophets, all the understanding. Jesus said, you guys have had all of this. You haven't... You know, I've never seen great faith like I've seen among this Gentile. Jesus, this man equated this whole situation with authority. Just speak the word. You see this equating of faith with understanding of authority. Faith with understanding of authority. If I believe that God is great and that He can do this in a life, It raises my faith. Jesus equates faith with understanding authority. If you want to be blessed in your life, learn to come under authority. So I have a a chair 
of my department, a chairman of my department. Now, just based on age, I am older than him. Just based on seniority, I'm ahead of him. But he's the chairman of the department. So I yield to him. I speak to him differently since he's become the chair of the department. As I should, because now he's the chair of the department. So I yield to him. Say, so I'll, uh, I'll approach him and I'll say, well, maybe you, you, you should consider maybe doing this. You know, I don't go in his office and start pounding my fist and saying, you'll do this. No. I appeal to him. And very often he'll come to me and say, what do you think I should do? And then over him is a dean. And I need to show respect to the dean. And over him a provost. And I've been at the... And, and, uh, uh, and then over him a president. There are people that I need to come under in my life. I understand authority. It's the same in the church. I teach this class at the pleasure of the leadership of this church. If they were to say, enough, you've, you've been doing it long enough, get, get some fresh words in there. I'm out of here. I do it at the pleasure of the pastor of this church. I recognize authority. And when I see people start coming against church leadership, I just want to stand back. Because I know there's a bolt of lightning about to fall. I don't want to come against the authority in the church. And I've had problems with, with, with authority in, 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 with some of the things that they've said, but I will go in private and appeal to them. I'll go in private. Even this week, my son was telling me something that was going on in, in, in the youth group that I didn't particularly care for. And so I right away I called the pastor. And I said, Roger, would you talk to Ben and I want you to hear what went on there. And so he listened to my son. And as soon as I, and, and then the youth pastor is calling Ben to, you know, and saying I need to take you out to lunch and they need to get this thing dealt with. So rather than my going and start criticizing the body of Christ for the way things are being done, I appeal to authority because I understand authority. I'm not over the youth group. So I will appeal to authority to deal with this. And right away, and then so, so then Roger saw me this morning, he says, you know, you're not, Ben's not the only one to tell us about this. Some other youth came and spoke about this too. He says, when I heard that, I knew I had to deal with it. You understand authority, so rather than just going and bad-mouthing things, you go and you appeal to authority. There have been times I've even told uh, uh, the former pastor, he was, he was going to step out and do something, and I met with him and I said, you know, I will follow your lead because you're the pastor, but in this, I think you're making an error. And in a matter of an hour, he turned around and he, he, he saw about what I was talking about. But still, he was my pastor. I didn't go publicly and say these sort of things. And so, we appeal to authority. This man understood authority. Jesus equated that with faith and marveled. So when you understand authority, Jesus said to young men, He said, young men, obey your elders. He says, then it will go well for you. If people understood authority in their workplace, I think it would go much better for them if they understood how to speak to people, if they understood how to address people. When people are in authority, you address them differently. This is the respect that's shown in the Bible. There are things that are set up and you may think, well, I, I know more scriptures than him. doesn't matter. You know more scriptures than him? Then show deference to the position. You honor them in that way. You show deference to them in that way. Jesus marveled at this. Now let's turn over to uh, uh, Matthew 
Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 has this same passage, but it, it, uh, Matthew keys in on something that's particularly interesting here. Remember, Matthew is writing specifically to the Jews, Matthew's Gospel, and here's what he writes. Uh, verse 10, Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Now Matthew records some other things that Jesus said at that time. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. So you see that Jesus adds a little bit. Jesus said other things and Matthew recorded a few of those other things. And he said, he said, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. That means the Gentile nations, not of Israel. Many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Remember, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are synonymous. It's all the same thing. It's just Matthew is writing to the Jews. Jews don't use the word God. Even today they will write G-D because... The name is too holy to use, so he always used the kingdom of heaven, and Jews today will do that sort of thing. Uh, uh, they, they, they won't say, they may not say, God bless you, they will say, heaven bless you. Uh, so you see that same pattern here in, in the way Matthew speaks. But he says, he says, they will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's a snippet of what heaven will be like. So we have this view that we're going to have wings and flying around and, you know, just, just, I don't know, singing all the time. Not so. Jesus gives us a picture, just a little picture, a snapshot of what heaven is going to be like. And he said, it's going to be like this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, I thought they were dead a long time ago, but remember, they live forever. He who is in Christ lives forever. We will see all the departed saints. We will see those whom we love, who have departed. We will be with them. This is Jesus' promise. We are even going to be able to meet all the patriarchs. I mean, I'm going to enjoy meeting David. I mean, what was this guy like? I mean, what a man. I mean, this guy would kill thousands. You want to see what he was like. You sit down and eat with him for a few meals. You're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it says, recline with them. In other words, you are going to have time to enjoy them. Now, I was in this uh, this Space Medicine Institute meeting this past week, uh, the the week week before this one, and and, uh, really quite interesting, because because, uh, uh, there were Russian cosmonauts and astronauts, and and they were talking what they had learned from each other. And many times the, the Americans would eat, you know, they just... You know, you're in space and you get this tube and you squeeze it into your mouth and you eat your meal and, you know, you go on and start working. And what they found is it was far greater camaraderie the way the Russians did it. The Russians had a table. They'd sit and they'd sit in this chair and they'd strap themselves in the chair and they would have their meals together. And what this built in the International Space Station, because they were there for long periods of time and in the Mir Space Station, you're there for six months or a year. 
And you have to be with these people. And to be able to sit at a table does something. And to take a meal together does something, even in space. And they were saying how the, the guys were in the space shuttle and the Russians were in the space shuttle. They said, could we go to the space station to eat? Because the Russians had had a table set up there and they wanted the camaraderie of the space station. And the Americans learned from this that there is more to a meal than just you know, squirting the stuff in your mouth and going on with your work. I mean, certainly from the nutrition standpoint, it's the same thing. But from building a relationship, it's very different. This is what Jesus says. You're not just going to... First of all, you're going to eat in heaven. Remember what happened when Jesus rose from the dead physically? He ate. And what did he say? He said, a spirit doesn't eat. So, remember what he said that there's going to be a physical resurrection that's going to unite with the spirit. And the physical body in heaven will eat. And you'd be reclining at the table. This is a beautiful thing. And he says there's going to be people from the east and the west all coming and reclining a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be enjoying one another, enjoying family, having fellowship. This is what it's like. The family of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus tells us about. And then he says... But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And remember that what the Jews taught was that every Jew has a portion in the kingdom to come. Just by being Jewish, just by being born to Jews, they have a, a, a right to the, kingdom of com- to the kingdom to come. And if there, had to be a, 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 if there had been a clerical error, Abraham stands there. To bring you back in if you're Jewish. And remember, Jesus has just finished this teaching of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, which he repudiated the teachings, these teachings of, of the Pharisees. And here's another one that he's coming against, that just because you're a Jew doesn't give you automatic entry into the kingdom of God. You can lose this thing. He says they're going to be cast out. So the presupposition is they were in because they were now cast out. So he's just speaking with my son-in-law this morning by Skype. And I told him I was going to be teaching on this. And I said, does it say in the Mishnah, does it say in the Mishnah that, that uh, every Jew has a right to the kingdom to come? He said, so he pulled out the Mishnah and he started reading. He says, the Mishnah that was available during the Second Temple period, which is this period of Jesus, did, does say that, that every Jew has a right to the kingdom to come. But rabbis had added other portions, and it's hard to know when these portions were added. I said, for example, what does it say? He says, like one rabbi wrote, except for those Jews that do not believe in the resurrection. Now remember, the Pharisees believe in the resurrection, the Sadducees don't. So a Pharisee wrote, except for those ones. And then there was another group. And, and, there were, and Rabbi so-and-so says, except for any, you know, there was another group. And Rabbi so-and-so says, except for those, and there was another group. So you see, all these people trying to exclude different people groups that they didn't particularly care for. And people with different sorts of, uh, 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 of theology about things. But what we have here is Jesus saying that just because, you know, people will say, you know, I was born a Christian. Born a Christian. Nobody is born a Christian. You are born again a Christian. But many people feel that way. You're born into a family where they said that they were Christians. You're good to go. Not so. You're not good to go any more than these people were good to go. We need to be born again. 
We need to be saved. There is a salvation that comes. And that's the difference. There's something different here. Now let's turn over to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, there was another centurion. Remember, when, when the church started, so when the church started, there were only Jews. There was nobody else. There were only Jews in the church. There were no Gentiles. You know, people will say to me, oh, isn't it amazing? You're a Jew and you, you, know, you participate in the church. The, the amazing thing is that there's any Gentiles in the church. That's the amazing thing. The Gospel is so Jewish. The New Testament is so Jewish in every respect. The amazing thing that there's any Gentiles that have come in the church. It was only Gentiles. For, it was only Jews in the church for many years. There were no Gentiles. Jews were getting saved. Then eventually, Samaritans came in. And so remember, Philip the evangelist went up there, and and and, and first Peter had opened the door for the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And today actually is Pentecost Sunday. It means fifty days after the Passover. That's today. This is the Pentecost. So this is this is actually a big holiday in Israel. Uh, uh, the the Pentecost. Remember the first Pentecost was the day that Moses was up on the mountain hearing from God and the Jews were dancing around an idol and worshipping and God came down and He judged Israel. That was the first Pentecost. There was a Pentecost when, when uh, Jesus rose from the dead. Fifty days after the Passover was when the Holy Spirit came down and, and Peter preached the first message. That was on the day of Pentecost. And uh, He said, you know, you're doing anything special. He congratulated me on the day. I said, oh, oh Memorial Day? He said, no, Pentecost. I said, oh, you know, it's, you know, to Americans, this is not a very big day. He says, oh, this is a huge day. I said, well, you know, I'm not Pentecostal, number one. <laughs> and number two, Paul wrote that for some, some put one day over another, others put every day the same. I'm in the group that puts every day the same. But in any case, this is, this is Pentecost Sunday. So, so, the, the Jews came in on Pentecost, and the Samaritans came in after that. And now, this is years later, he's about to bring the gospel. The church is about to open up to the Gentiles. What's the first Gentile that he's going to choose? Verse 10, uh, chapter 10 of Acts, verse 1. Now, there was at a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So here's a man. Again, he's a Roman centurion. This is in the town of Caesarea. We, last summer, we, uh, Shereen and myself and Ben, we, we were driving by and we stopped in this town of Caesarea. And you can see it. I mean, it was a huge, huge city. This is where all the, the, the goods from Europe would come in. And everything, and there were huge breakwaters that were built, and you can see these massive ruins. And it was a, and they had a, a, a uh, big, big, uh, a big uh, coliseum there where they would have uh, fights and and uh, horse races. And you can still see all the remains of this thing all there along the beachfront by the Mediterranean. And here's this man, uh, Cornelius, lives there. And look what it says: He was a devout man. He feared God with all his household. And he gave many alms to the Jewish people and he prayed to God continually. Who is the first Gentile that, that he's going to bring the church into through? This man and his family. Why? Blessing of Abraham. He blessed the Jewish people. He blessed the Jewish people. He gave them many alms to the Jewish people. He was a man who feared God and blessed that nation. And then, look what it says in, in verse 
3. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had come to him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him, he said, he gazed on him, and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa, and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. So you see, what is the angel reference? Your prayers and your alms. These gifts that you gave to those Jewish people, God has remembered. The church is coming into the Gentiles through you. Through your family is going to be the first one in. And then he says, go and call this man Peter, who's in Joppa. Joppa is just a little south of uh, Caesarea. I, you know, I, I don't know exactly, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing something like 10 miles south of Caesarea. So, and he tells them where to go. He says, by the sea, you ask around for a guy who's a tanner named Simon. And they asked around and they found Peter. Peter's there praying. And then, uh, verse 21 of Acts chapter 10, Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you've come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by the holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear a message from you. Again, another reference. The Jews respected him. The Jews respected him. The, the, and so he would do something. You know, you would think, okay, so, so I'm, I'm a Jew, so I don't have to do this. No, I want to fall into this blessing too. So when, when I get asked by some university in Israel to do something for them, I want to help them. I want to do something to help them. There was a, there was a time about... Uh, Ten years ago, when the Europeans were saying they weren't going to have any dealings with Jewish universities because of, there were some conflicts going on. And I wrote to the European Union, I said, this is the dumbest thing that you can possibly do. Science has always been a great uniter. And you want to not have any dealings with the scientists in, 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 in Israel because of some political things going on. And the Jews heard about this. When I was in Israel, the, the, some universities had heard about the letter that I had written to the Europeans. And they, I w- was visiting one Jewish uh, university. And when I got up to speak, they all started applauding because of this letter that I had heard writing to the Europeans. Don't close off the Jewish scientists. You do something to bless the Jews. You will be blessed. It says they all respected him. You want to win their respect, you will be blessed. Not necessarily because they deserve it, but because of a blessing that God gave to Abraham for that reason. And then look down in verse 30 of Acts chapter 10. Cornelius said, For four days ago to this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and and invite Simon. So, that's what he did. And then the Holy Spirit came upon this man's house. And so, we can see that in in verse 44 of the same chapter, Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because of the gift of God had been poured out on the Gentiles also. 
For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can refuse the waters of baptism for, for those who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay, with, stay on for a few days. So it says that, that Cornelius and his whole household, they got saved and they got hit with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, you've you got to ask for the Holy Spirit in order to get it. They didn't ask. They just heard and believed, boom, the Holy Spirit fell on them. God doesn't have to ask you anything. He just hits you with the Holy Spirit. That's what he did. He just hit them with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter said, well, how can we keep these guys from getting the waters of baptism? So he baptizes them. He goes back to Jerusalem and boy, is he in trouble. Because the Jews hear that he baptized Gentiles. And they're like, how could you have done that? And, he, and then he has to start arguing with them and say, how could I have done otherwise? I saw them get hit with the Holy Spirit just like we got it. And the Jews were like, whoa, God's going to visit the Gentiles. It was such a surprise to the church that Gentiles would come in. And so you see that the blessing came upon a soldier generally some of the most hated class, because of his kindness to the Jewish nation. I want you to have good lives. I really do. You don't have to be good to me. I'm not asking you to be good to me. I'm saying, if you know Jews, be kind to them, because they are Jewish. Be kind to the Jewish nation, and you will be blessed. Not because they deserve it, but because of a promise. And from what I have seen, every group, every nation, every individual that comes against the Jews, that stands against them, has negative things to say, what we see in the scriptures is every time that person, that nation, that group has a very hard life. And that is certainly what we see since the church has also started. If you substitute that and say, no, I'm going to be nice to the church, good, be nice to the church. But don't let that be hatred for the Jews. They do many things that may not be right. But bless them. Bless them just because of the blessing to Abraham. Still, when I give, my tithe goes to my local church. This is what I do. But I have alms beyond my tithe. And I will always give to groups within Israel that are doing things to bless certain people. So I will give to Messianic Jewish groups that will bless these are Jews that are God-fearing, that believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I want to bless them. I will bless missionaries, those who are going into Israel, those who are Jews that love Jesus and are going and sharing there, those that are working with the poor in Israel. I want to do this. I want to bless that nation. There is documented examples of men. This is, you know, this is, Book of Acts is in the church period. In the church period. If this were all strictly just for blessings to the church and not to the Jews, why is God visiting this man in particular? It says specifically, I saw the alms that you gave to the Jews. The church is coming through your family. You want blessing upon yourself and your family? Do the things that the Scriptures are teaching us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray that you would take these young people and give them an understanding of authority in the workplace, in government, in the church. Give them an understanding of authority. Let them learn to honor 
those in authority over them. Father, I pray that they would learn to, to walk in faith, such faith that all you have to do is say the word and it is done. And Father, I pray that you'd let them follow the pattern of the Scriptures, the pattern of this centurion who underwrote the building of the synagogue and loved the Jewish nation. Even though the Jewish nation was speaking so poorly about the Romans, he loved them. And Father, I pray that they would also do as Cornelius did, to love the Jewish nation, to be God-fearing, and to give alms. Father, I pray for your grace to abound on them. The blessings of God and the grace of God abound on these young people, I pray. In the name of Jesus, Amen.